Um, we are looking through the Beatitudes, um, but uh, listening back to Keith, he did a good job in there a couple of weeks ago, uh, explaining the Beatitudes to you guys. Um, I feel slightly nervous following him. Uh, but he did read through the whole thing, and so I thought I'd give you a slightly different uh, reading this morning, uh, which does very much fit in. So if you want to look at Psalms, uh, Psalm 37, we're going to read uh, verses uh, 1 to 11. Uh, there is a very clear link, so don't worry, I'm not going to Maverick, um, but Psalm 37, it's on page 563 uh, in your church Bible, if you have one, uh, and we will be referring to the Matthew passage too. Uh, so uh, Psalm uh, 37, uh, page 563, uh, verses uh, 1 to 11, uh, says this. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked scheme. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning there. It's a lovely psalm, actually. And it's amazing when you, when you read this mix of judgment and love in there. Um, it's still beautiful, isn't it, when you read it through, and that sense of, of trusting in the Lord. Um, I'm going to show you a, a little cartoon, um, because we're talking about meekness today. And um, my title, I kind of thought, although it says living uh, with a purpose, uh, I want to go with meek, not mild. Uh, this is uh, in the instruction book. I don't know if you can see it at the back. It says, exercising baby. Uh, yes is to wiggle their legs. Uh, no is to do bench pressing uh, weights, um, just a little tip. Um, and although you may think, why has he picked that? Well, I'll tell you why I've picked it, is that uh, Claire's pregnant again. Um, and um, we are due in October, and uh, I thought, my goodness, that was a surprise. Um, <laughs> not really. Um, but... But it's often the case, when we think about meekness, we join the two words together, meek and mild, and we think of lovely kind of uh, Christmassy scenes and weedy Jesus. Um, And I want to try and challenge us today that the word meek may not be what you think. May not be what you think. Um, Just where you are, and some of you uh, may find this just a little bit tricky, but I want to just kind of get you into the word meek, which is our focus for today. Um, And I've got a question, which is, how would you define meek? Meek. How would you define meek? Is it this picture? Um, just where you are, just for a few seconds. It's just a slightly nerdy guy. Um, how would you define meek? Just where you are, just for 30 seconds. If you don't want to, just feel free to just to think yourself about the word meek. But I would appreciate it if you want to just have a little chat. So how would you define meek? How would you define meek? Just a few more seconds. Okay, so Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It sounds like a good thing to be, yeah? Let's be meek, let's inherit the earth. You know, it seems a very simple 
equation. Um, how would you define meek? I'd probably a better question rather than getting feedback is, if I said to you, how many of you would like to be told that you are meek? Raise your hand. That's amazing because you have just read a passage that says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. <laughs> You'd think that all of you would say, yes, I would like to be called meek because therefore, <laughs> yeah, don't worry, the clocks went forward. It was tough, wasn't it? It was tough. Um, blessed are the meek. What does it mean? It's not a word we use very much nowadays. We certainly don't see superheroes called meek man. We see superman. We see wonder woman. We see dino rod man. Actually, that's not one. But um, what is meek? And why is it so important? And it's amazing, I guess, that the stunned silence here, whether it's because I've started or just whether you're just thinking through this, because meekness seems important. In the psalm that we read... Once again, it emphasised the meek will inherit the earth. This is obviously a big deal. This is a big deal. So what is meek? Just before I explain, I want to give you just a little bit of context. I'm not sure how much you know of of where Matthew was writing to. So Matthew was writing to a a Jewish congregation, um, around about kind of 60 to 70 um, AD. And at the time, meekness was not something that was popular. In fact, if you know your kind of history of of Jerusalem and things, you'll know that actually this was a time of revolt. And it was in AD 70 where the judgment Jesus had spoke over the temple came to pass. To give you a really quick kind of very brief, I guess, introduction to this, because it's really important. Uh, Some Greeks and Jews started to fall out about their religious practices. And um, according to some of the Roman and Jewish historians, uh, a group of uh, kind of Greek religious people did some sacrifices in front of the Jewish temple. And the Romans did nothing about it. And the Jews complained, and the Romans did nothing about it. And from that, a revolt kind of spread. There was an increasing feeling that just things weren't right. For the Jews, they'd lost their identity, they'd lost who they were, and the nation they were living in just wasn't right. They wanted to be under God, not under Rome. And you read this amazing account of how, after the kind of revolt spreads across the area, um, the Romans bring in an army. But the army's defeated. And it's this kind of great day of victory. Maybe suddenly human power is working. Once again, the kingdom will be established. But very quickly after that, a bigger army comes. And after a long siege, uh, the highlight of which was a Jewish defender burning all the dry food they had to try and inspire his people to fight harder, didn't work. They ran out of food. And the siege broke And Jerusalem was destroyed. And even now, when you go to Jerusalem, you can see where the stones have been turned one off the other. And you can see the imprint in the ground as the stones fell. Now, Matthew's writing to an audience that know full well, whether it's just afterwards, having read it after, or during, it doesn't seem like human power worked. And just think what a potent reminder then this passage would be to those people. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. But what is meek? What is meek? I very rarely do it, but the, the, the Greek is quite helpful, um, quite helpful here. Uh, praus, um, if you have a Greek testament uh, in front of you. Um, I haven't. But um, the, the word is used uh, in other places to describe a soothing medicine. It's used by sailors to describe a gentle breeze, and it's used by farmers to describe a broken colt. What do these definitions have in common? Well, I guess there's a sense of great power under control. Meekness, one way to describe it would be great power under control. I like the broken cult one especially. 
And this may be quite different to the way you've understood meek, because meek has become a dirty word. We tend to spell it wrong. It gets a W at the start. And if you want to be grammatically correct, an A in the middle. But spelling was never my strong point. A.W. Tozer wrote, and these are some great words, just try and focus in. He says, the meek person is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. Then listen really carefully. This is what meekness is. This is a definition of meekness. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God has declared him to be, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time he is in the sight of God of more importance than the angels. In himself nothing, in God everything, that is his motto. Meekness, in himself nothing, in God everything, that is his motto. Now I can tell by the kind of looks coming my way, you're thinking deeply, and I would want to give you some more time to think through that, but the clocks have gone forward, and we're having to try and steal our hour back. But I guess I want to try and challenge you in this then. What is meekness? What is meekness? And I want to illustrate it. This is a slightly silly story, but bear with me. Um, How many of you are restaurant complainers? How many of you are restaurant complainers? What I mean by that is when the waiter comes across and says, how was your meal? How many of you will honestly, at that point, feel able to say, if something's not right, something's not right? Just, Just a quick show of hands. Okay. Now, I'm going to try to illustrate meekness, this sense of great power under control. My mum is not meek. Growing up in a a family of six, um, four boys, uh, money was always short and food was always at a premium. And my mum used to look forward to restaurants where they got something wrong. They would be the highlight. Because she knew that when the waiter came, she would say very clearly and bluntly and loud enough for the whole restaurant to hear the following line. No, our food is not right. It is too cold, it has a hair in it, it's the wrong meal, whatever it is. I would like, please, some free drinks to make us feel better. (laughs) The best one was Pizza Hut, where we waited for an hour and five minutes for pizza to arrive. My mum, once again, loudly, proudly asserting her rights, said, no, this is not acceptable. We have been here for an hour and 15 minutes. We've got so hungry, we have eaten your crayons. (laughs) She didn't, but... She said, I would like, please, the meal free and dessert. (laughs) To which the person said, I'm sorry, madam, we can't do that. My mum said, in that case, go and find me someone who can. And he did. And we enjoyed free dinner. Now that's not, in one sense, meekness. Because the asserting of my rights, the asserting of myself, the desire that things go right for me, and an anger if things don't, is not meekness. And you can see that in the psalm passage we wrote. Twice, do not fret because you see others getting ahead. Do not fret. Do not be envious of those who are wicked. Do not give in to the lie this world tells you that success is everything. Remember, in yourself, nothing, in God, everything. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's where meekness stems from. Can I encourage you then that meekness is not something that you put on? You can't pretend to be meek. It flows from the very core of your being. I trust in my Lord to do good, whether in this life or the life to come. I trust that one day the injustice I see around me will be restored, whether in my lifetime or in the time to come. I trust that whatever enemy I face, whether sickness or death or decay, whether I lose everything to the flames, whether everything I own rusts and spoils and decays, I trust in the Lord. We've sung it, haven't we? I will trust in you alone. That's where meekness stems from. And I guess the challenge is then, how do you live that out? It's not just a fatalistic, it's all okay. I'll just get along. But it's that asserting, that asserting that God lives, that God lives in me, and therefore the way I treat my enemies is reflected by that. Does that make sense? Meekness is, is, is how we respond to situations and others in faith without just instantly throwing up our hands and saying, it's all meaningless. It's all futile and God has left me alone. I think it's a real test, a test of true faith to say I trust even when it does not seem like it. Great power under control, realising that the power is not our own. Let's just move on. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How are your Lent promises going? How many of you, just raise your hand, have for Lent giving something up? And you're still going strong. You're still going strong. Excellent, excellent. How many of you are very much missing the thing you've given up? Uh, my, my wife has given up Facebook for Lent. Um, the first week was pretty tough. She was like rocking and shaking, but uh, she's, uh, she's doing well. And actually, she's enjoying having a bit more time to focus on God and a bit more time to focus on work uh, and a bit more time just focusing on life. It's uh, been a, a good thing for her to do. Um, that sounded really bad, a good thing for her to do. She, she chose to do it. But what are you thirsty for this morning? That would be my question to you. What are you thirsty for this morning? In the Beatitudes it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What are you thirsty for? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We start to see these little themes emerging. Just flick back with me as well, just a Psalm uh, 37 where we began today. Just have a little look. Psalm 37.3 Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. What are you thirsty for? Um, a couple of weeks ago I had the flu and uh, it was proper flu. Claire made the immortal kind of declaration, this is not man flu, this is real flu, uh, which was quite a relief. For me, But as part of that, I became very, very, very thirsty. Very, very, very thirsty. Um, I drank a lot of Lucozade. Um, it, was, it was nice to do. But, but what I kind of, as I was reflecting on this passage, because I was actually preparing this a couple of weeks ago when I was sick, this thirst thing really interested me. Because the thing about thirst is it's not something you put on. Once again, like meekness, you can't just pretend to be thirsty. Thirst is something that's at the very depth of your being. It's literally kind of in your gut. It's also a, a, quite a driving force. When I was thirsty, that's all I could think about. Some things distracted for a while, but the throat was dry, it was itchy, it was an uncomfortable feeling. I knew that until I could kind of quench my thirst, things wouldn't be right. Now, I'm not trying to overplay this, 
like when you're lying in bed shivering with a temperature and, and you're thirsty, things get a bit just on top of you. And I kind of thought, though, that as a Christian, if I know that I should be speaking up for the oppressed, we should be living lives of justice and mercy like we sing about. If we are meant to be people that bring God's kingdom to life, and in one sense I'm meant to hunger and thirst for that, hunger and thirst for righteousness, I've realised I don't have a thirst for righteousness. I have an occasional penchant for righteousness. I don't know if that's the right word, but it sounds good. In the same sense that I might occasionally in the summer fancy a PIMS, I might occasionally fancy taking up a cause of righteousness. A couple of years ago, it was to sponsor a compassion child. We still do it because it's a direct debit. We haven't written that many letters, I'm ashamed to say. You know, at the time, I was, I was on fire for this. I was like, this is absolutely really important to get kids into school invasions where they can't, to change futures. It was burning within me, but once again, the thirst kind of fell. A couple of kind of months ago, it became this thing in Tame we're doing after church today. Love Tame, a kind of helping to tidy Tame. I was like, yes, it's really important for the church to be seen to be at the front of caring for God's world. He's made us stewards. He's put us in charge of this world. It is right for the church to take a lead. I woke up this morning and thought, oh no, I've got that clearing up day today. <laughs> I don't know if you identify with that. It's not a thirst for righteousness. It's just something that you think, do you know what? I think I should probably do that occasionally. Does that make sense? You kind of... But a thirst isn't like that. Because a thirst comes upon you and nothing else will satisfy. A hunger is a bit similar. You don't just think to yourself, oh, I quite fancy a burger. When you're hungry, it's the driving force. You, you need to get things right because you know things are not right until you're fed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Once again, from the core of your being, because you know it matters to God, because you know that God has given you this mission to do, because you know that it is right and proper, that in this world and the next, God's justice is seen. Blessed are you if you pursue that with all your heart. And I would challenge us as a church that if you realise that you haven't got that hunger and thirst, that this isn't something, once again, you can put on, but challenge yourself about it this morning. Say to yourself, actually, do you know what? I need to seek God and say, Father, create in me a thirst for righteousness. Be active in, in supporting those that you love, whether missionaries or agencies. Because the Beatitudes, as Jeff said when he came down to us, these are not things to be explained. These are not things to go and look at in detail and think, oh, those are nice. This is Jesus' radical teaching about the way God's people are meant to live. And we know that to be the case because Matthew sets him up like Moses himself on a mountain. The way Matthew writes to a Jewish audience would have rung bell after bell after bell in their heads. They knew Moses was important. The law was important. Moses on a mountain brings down the law. You read at the start of Matthew, Jesus goes up to a mountainside from the crowd. His disciples come to him. And if you doubt me and you think I'm trying to read that into the text, in a couple of chapters' time you read Jesus saying, I've not come to abandon the law, but to fulfil the law. Matthew writes saying to people, you Jews thought the law was important, this is who you are to be. Not just what you're to do, this is who you are to be now. And yet church after church soften these things and we let ourselves out of this way of living that would radically change the world. And radically change your faith too. And I'm not trying to say that to make you feel guilty, but I'm trying to say that to prompt us into action. 
I'm coming to an end. I've spoken to you for about 20 minutes. I've heard, I was trying to work it out. I've heard 33 sermons on the Beatitudes. Um, I counted back. Um, my dad did a few. I had quite a lot at university. I think they, they were trying to tell a student something. They kept going over it and over it. And yet, once again, when I came to prepare, I realized that this is not me. This is not me. As I said, I have a, an occasional dalliance with righteousness. I occasionally choose to be meek if I think it gets me ahead and makes me look good in front of other people. I'm happy to cover my power as long as my power ultimately makes things happen. But here's the challenge. The Beatitudes describe Jesus. This is how he lived. Jesus didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. And he offers this to you too, through his Spirit's power working within you, to to live like this. If you compare these to, to Luke 6, where it's even blunter, it just says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, Because Jesus says, in you nothing, in God everything. And stop fooling yourself thinking that what's important is the material things that rust, spawn and decay. Because what's important is that God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming all about me. And I'm not trying to say that everything we do is rubbish, because I believe that everything we do in God's strength can be glorious. And these acts of righteousness can be eternal treasure. And the reward we get for doing this isn't the reason we do it, but it's the hope we hold on to. So I guess I want to try and leave you with a bit of a challenge. This morning, you may sat here thinking to yourself, I've been to church for a while, and I hate the fact that Christians are hypocrites. And that's the biggest thing that's putting me off faith, that I hear people say they're Christians, and they don't look like it. Do you know what? I feel that too. I feel that too. But Jesus wasn't. And that's why we're Christians, because we belong to Christ, not to the church. We belong to each other, but we belong to Christ. And I'd challenge you this morning, that if the reason you're not becoming a Christian is because of other people in the church, do you know what? After a couple of years' time, if you became a Christian, you'd probably include yourself in the same list. But this Jesus was glorious, and life-changing, and world-changing. And he brought righteousness to people that just didn't expect it. And he broke into people's lives in a way that was life-changing. I'd encourage you and challenge you that you may feel a thirst, actually, this morning. You may think, you know what, things in life are good, but they don't quite satisfy. This little itch, this little thirst I have. Jesus says to a woman who is thirsty, come to me, I'll give you water forever. A well springing up to eternal life. Guys, what a hope that is. Imagine that, that you knew you were being as you were made to be, created in the relationship you were created to be in. Secondly, some of you do have a real hunger and it's just life has just been really tough. And it's driven you down and you're tired. And you're complaining at God and you know that things aren't right. Can I just encourage you once again from these Beatitudes that there is a glorious hope we belong to. That because Jesus lived perfectly according to this, because he died gloriously and because he rose triumphantly. When we fail at this, we're forgiven. When we need strength to do it, he gives it. He leaves us the Holy Spirit. And can I encourage you that, that why would you miss out on the life you're meant to live? This is the God we follow as Christians. And lastly, Christians, let's stop wasting our time. Let's stop running after things that don't satisfy. Those things we know when we're lying there, we know haven't quite satisfied. Whether it's something you've saved up for for a long time and you've bought it, and then suddenly something new comes along. Guys, let's get back to the basics. This is living the Beatitudes. This is the beautiful attitude, what it means to follow God. Now, at this point, normally, I don't know about you, it kind of feels like we should do communion. 
um, on the program. Uh, we moved it around. Um, but I, I want to just show you this. Uh, this is a little last cartoon. Um, this is me as a kid. Um, this is going to be a long service. They're serving food um, as they're passing around the bread uh, and the cup. It's not going to be a long service. We're going to finish now. But I guess my challenge is this. My challenge is this. What is your food? What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Just, just try and, It's worth thinking it through. Because they, they tie together these things. Because if you're hungry to get your own way, you are probably not meek. And if you are hungry to see the wrong people righted, you're in danger of not being meek. If you seek to give God the glory in everything, because you know that in yourself you're nothing, and in God you're everything, you're verging on meek. And if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you hunger and thirst to see God's kingdom come, both now and later, you're probably getting towards meek. And if you think I've done a poor job at explaining meek, can you go and read Psalm 37? Because that's all about meekness. Just read it through, meditate on his word. It's, it's what it's meant to be there for. Just read the passage we read, Psalm 37, 1 to 11. Because that's all meekness. It's all meekness. The way it's described about do not fret because you trust in God, that's because you're meek. Do not be envious because you know that, that, that God's reward is on those who live for him. That's because you're meek. Psalm 37, 1 to 11, just read it through. Meditate on God's word and you won't go far wrong.